Welcome to Medicine for Good podcast. I am your host, Dr. Julieta Gabiola, clinical professor of medicine at Stanford University. What drew me to medicine was the science, the innovation, and the promise for a comfortable life. But what has kept me in medicine are the real people, their lives, and their stories, as well as the translation of medical innovations into practical applications. This podcast will explore experiences beyond the walls and corridors of the hospital, laboratories, and clinics. I invite you to share in our journey seeking to preserve and improve our lives, our sense of balance, and our well-being. The meaning of life is to plant trees under whose shade you do not expect to sit. This is by Nelson Henderson. Welcome to Medicine for Good podcast, episode 21, Who are your heroes? Life is full of challenges. Resilience of mankind has been tested by natural disasters, war, violence, pandemics, physical and mental health illnesses, loss of someone, systemic racism, discrimination, poverty, and the like. Selfish commitment of people can change the course of history or someone's trajectory through acts of heroism. With kindness, bravery, and unselfish love of passionate individuals, one life or lives can change for the better. Certainly, I will not be here without a hero or heroes who intervened to help when I most needed. All these influences helped shape my trajectory to where I am today. Their heroism, unrecognized by many, is what the podcast today is all about. They are the reason why I could help hundreds or thousands more people live healthier lives now. So today's podcast is dedicated to all our heroes. I invite you to pause, reflect, and rewind your life and recognize those heroes. I am so privileged to have guests who have done so much with their lives, who I am sure have their respective heroes, who have shaped the course of their lives. I truly respect these phenomenal people who continue to help shape me as an individual. Pam Kawaguchi is a certified public accountant and certified fraud examiner with 40 years of experience in business, finance, and auditing. She's now a longevity and lifestyle coach. Her passion includes travel, supporting nonprofit organizations like ABCs for Global Health, and lifestyle mentoring. She's a loving wife, a mother, and a grandmother. Walter Lee started as a pre-medical student at Stanford, and due to lack of financial support, he switched to economics. He frequently guest lectured at Stanford Graduate School of Business. He used his skills in science and economics to help high-tech startups for over 30 years now. After battling cancer, he's now involved with his first love. And mind you, that's not his wife, but his love for medicine. He's teaching health and wellness. Kathy Quinlan Perez is a director of training for PSI, which stands for Personal Success Institute, which has been around for about 47 years. She leads life success and leadership seminars. She's a humanitarian, a true stand for people to be their extraordinary selves. And I have been in her class and her influence has truly impacted my leadership trajectory. I wish I had taken it several decades ago, though. So all of you, welcome to Medicine for Good podcast. And thank you for your participation. 
Thank you for You're very you, welcome. Julian. Thank you for asking. The impetus for this podcast, as you all know, was the realization of one of my heroes in my life. I myself did not recognize the valuable contribution of Dory Concepcion in my life and in my trajectory until I heard of her passing away a week ago from COVID. I called her Ate Dori. Ate is a term that we use in the Philippine language for an older sister or just an older female person. Upon hearing of her death, my heart really sank, not just from hearing the news of her death, but my inability to show her my appreciation and recognition. In reality, I am more saddened that I did not recognize that this person was truly a hero in my life until I heard of her death. When I was a pre-med student, I was working full-time as an ICU nurse for 8 to 10 hours, 5 days a week, and in school full-time for 4 to 5 hours, 5 days a week. So that left me about 6 to 8 hours, maybe, to sleep for 3 hours and study for 3 hours. There was not much time for self-care, cooking, cleaning, driving back and forth to school and work. Those were the tasks that Atidori had fulfilled to support me during those hard times, which those days were almost daily. She was not a relative. She was a friend, like an older sister who I met early in my career as a nurse. She was always there ready to listen, to help with no judgment and no expectations for payback or returns. I am sure she knew how appreciative I was, but personally, I really regret my inability to tell her or show her my appreciation when she was alive. This podcast is dedicated to her and to my sister, who is 84 years old, Atenita, who continues to be my support and sounding board to this day. So I like to ask each and every one of you, I bet you have similar stories. And I like to invite you to help me define and describe your hero. Well, I'm going to jump in because something came to me, Julieta, when you were even introducing why you do this podcast, all of a sudden it just popped in my head, my doctor, and since has been retired. But if it wasn't for him, I don't know if I would even be where I am today because he took a mammogram that one doctor had written me a letter and said, oh, we'll see you in six months. And then he looked at it and said, huh. And because he did that, he caught my cancer in such an early stage that no matter when you have to go through something like that, it's never easy because he caught it so early. It saved my life. And so when you had said like why you're doing this and with medicine, and in fact, we're actually doing a basic up at our ranch for first responders and doctors fall underneath that doctors and nurses. I just think of him, he was my doctor for 22 years and just had the greatest sense of humor. And every time I went to go see him, no matter what it was for, I always felt better leaving his office. He just made me always feel special. When I think of a hero, not only is it an ordinary person that does extraordinary things, but it's a person that just is kind and is just reaching out to do something better for people. I mean, they could be end up being the president of the United States or the president of the Philippines, but it can be like the everyday person that just takes that extra moment to show kindness, which then is an example for other people to show kindness. And so I just think of him and and how he just took that extra moment. I mean, it was like at seven o'clock at night, he was sitting in his office, just looking over my x-rays and he goes, you know what? Something doesn't look right here. 
And if he wouldn't have taken that extra time, I can't even imagine what would have snowballed from that. So I think of heroes, you know, as I wrote to you, I have some big name people, but I also have like, they just took the time to care. I love that. I love that story, Kathy. Walter? Absolutely. I guess I'll take Kathy's lead and start with a personal one, which is rather straightforward. My mother, because I've had challenging upbringing over the years, the intimacy with my mother was huge in terms of being there. Unfortunately, she passed earlier on. And because she passed earlier on, I didn't have the benefit of her presence later in my life. So I missed her deeply in that regard. And having said that, I'll flip it to the other side, looking at, I would call it a more macro point of view, which would be someone that is my mother's adoptive father. And he actually did a lot of things on a geopolitical level, including spending time at International Monetary Fund, representing ASEAN nations, countries in Washington, D.C. So his contribution was very much one of global economics, as well as doing things that were truly what I would call for the greater good. Because at one time in his professional career, he made the huge political mistake becoming more popular than the president. Well, that's not to be done, especially in Asia. He was exiled from his role. At the time, I remember I was working at the Stanford Hospital as a health physicist, and I was feeling very shameful about it because this was in the newspaper, front page, being deposed from his very high position. I remember walking into one of the labs and one of the young ladies there who is from Taiwan and said to me, we all know this was trumped up. It was just like came out of nowhere, right? And that gave me so much peace from that person telling me that. Even by doing the right thing and suffering the consequences for doing the right thing, it was done already and the greater good prevailed. So that's on the macro level. And, you know, personally, of course, there's other stories to tell, but those are the two extremes. You know, one is my relationship, which dramatically impacted how I now relate to my wife, for example, right? I mean, things like that just tie straight through. So I'll, I'll leave it there for now. There's been so many people that have been heroes in my life. I think there's a lot of the notable ones, but the ones that I think I really cherish are the ones that I have known directly and that have really helped shape my life too. When Kathy talks about her doctor and when Walter talks about his mom, you were my doctor. And there were so many great things about having you as my primary care doctor for many years before you moved to a different department. It was really wonderful because it led to many other great things that we're doing and collaborating together with. There's so many parallels to other heroes, too, because of all the sacrifices that you do in order to keep your mobile clinics going in Pampanga, Philippines, and to raise awareness for people how to stay well especially when they don't have the basic education of how good health comes about. So this is really important. Julieta, you're one of my heroes. And I know that there's so many great things that we're going to be doing in the future as well. So it's just wonderful. My biggest hero, I think, is somebody that not very many people know. And that's my mom. And so when Walter talked about his mom, I said, yep, that's the huge influence in my life. 
I get all choked up when I talk about her because I still miss her. And of course, she would be 106 years old right now if she was still around. There's so many sacrifices that, that people in our lives make for us. I just wanted to just let people know that every day I meet a hero, like Kathy, for instance, all the sacrifices that she does to help educate us with her PSI seminars. It's amazing how many people you've affected as well. She's one of my heroes. I know there's a lot of people who believe that she's their hero too, because she's helped to guide people to start the big transformations in their lives and to enrich their lives and to enlarge them. It's just fantastic. Oh, thank you. May I also add the title of Angels? Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, Not just heroes, but angels. I mean, to me, you know, I've got two angels here directly. One is Pam and one is Kathy. Uh, You guys are my angels along the way. And without the two of you, I would not have met Dr. Julieta along the way. I mean, to me, there is an amazing set of common grounds here. I say the same thing to Pam. I said, you know, gee, I wish I had went to basic 30 years ago because my gosh, talking about having a mixed up upbringing and, and all that and then trying to sort it all out. It seems like I did a reasonably good job reflecting on myself, but it's nothing like putting a framework around it. And that framework is like everything. Now I have more degree of freedom to understand and appreciate. I think with Julieta's ABC Foundation and all that, I think each one of us is trying to discover ways to pass it forward. How do we benefit someone else? We've been blessed. How do we then relay that and push that forward and create that ripple? Inside comment is, you know, one starfish at a time, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. Because that's like I made this internal commitment, like my next two years is 100% in passing it on to the next generation. Like who's going to take over this? Who's going to take over this? Because I love what I do and I can't do it forever. It's unfair not to give it to other people to teach them to take it at a whole. And when you teach people everything that you know, they're going to bring themselves to it and they're going to make it better. That's how we increase our learning. That's how we increase how our knowledge of things and the depth of how we understand things. So that's the beauty of it all. I was thinking as you were talking, I'll just tell you a funny story is that when I was in high school, you know, this will reveal something about myself. So I was like 15 years old and my sociology teacher who we could go off campus for lunch. And so I went off campus with my friends and smoked a joint. And so (laughs) I was walking down the hallway eating licorice and my sociology teacher came up and said, Hey, Kathy, I want to talk to you. And of course, in my head, I'm going, Oh my God, he knows I'm high. I'm in so much trouble. (laughs) And so he took me across the street to Countryside Village in Omaha, Nebraska. And we sat down and had a soda. And he goes, hey, there's this new program coming to Omaha, Nebraska. Mrs. Buffett's bringing it. It's called Head Start. And I thought maybe you'd like to volunteer. Literally, that was the last time I smoked marijuana. And (laughs) even though my mom thought like, what are you doing? You want to go do what? And my dad's like, you want to go do what? And my mom would drive me every Wednesday down to South Omaha and drop me off. And I'd volunteer for five hours working with these kindergartners and preschool kids. It completely shifted how I even looked out at the world. That was Mr. McCormick, my sociology teacher. Somebody that thought, hmm, he didn't know that I was stoned. He had no idea. Or maybe he did. (laughs) Maybe he did. He's like, I got to grab this one before she goes down that tube. I mean, it's amazing what those early influences in our lives that help shape our trajectory. And in return, what we learn could be passed on, as you mentioned. 
And so the ripple effects of that and the consequences of that, like if I didn't finish medicine, I probably wouldn't be able to help as many people. So I really owe it to a lot of the people who had earlier influence in my life. And I thought when I was younger, oh, yeah, I love Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa had nothing to do with my trajectory. I just love what she did. But directly, the heroes in my life are the people who actually directly shaped me where I am today. And I am sure you are, all of you guys and all people, they are heroes of some other youth, like high school students, like college students. And I bet they are influenced by your being as a role model. I hope so. We all hope so. I find that a frightening concept. (laughs) You know, know. Walter, that your daughters look up to you. You (laughs) know that. For sure. For sure. And all the teachers, like the teachers that we have in our everyday life, even my patients who teach me how to be more compassionate and more empathetic, patients who help me understand that I don't need the books, but they are my book. That's a beautiful way to describe it. They are virtually my books. I would see my leaders and I said, I would like to be one of those. And then I have leaders that I said, I don't want to be like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I could literally make an example of that statement because my stepfather, who was financially, emotionally, physically abusive, did one of the best things he knew how, which was he taught me well enough academically for me to get into Stanford. My cousins all keeled over and died when they heard that because I couldn't pass a single class as far as they could remember, ever. Mind you, I was preteen, okay? But still, definitely academically challenged. And yet, if you flip it, redefine that experience and say, gee, what was the gift? Well, the gift was in many ways, just like you said in a joking way, he taught me how not to do something. And that became so visceral. It's in my gut. And the decision and the choices I made because of that hurt allowed me to have the relationship that, thank you, Kathy, for saying it, but yeah, the relationship I have with my family today. Without that, I would not have had this. It's not bad socially or economically or culturally, society-wise definition bad. It's bad, but because depends on how you implement that. And having the ability to see the benefits of it, the blessings of it, the looking into the future because of it, there's no way I can pass it forward with what we're doing today because, you know, Pam also see my family interactions firsthand. Cannot have that without that other experience. That redefinition was everything. And that took place over my, I call it over 10 years of my university days. Praise God, you know, he gave me insights and wisdom before I met my wife. (laughs) And he didn't even know that he was giving you all that in the way that you turned it around. Absolutely. Because my favorite saying is that he has the EQ of a five-year-old on a good day. So, Walter, that shaped your trajectory in a 180-degree turn. So I guess the influence of heroes in our lives can be different. It's not just all the good stuff. And some of the challenges and adversities that we go through are so meaningful if we implement it the right way. 
Mm -hmm. I will come down to how we all define a hero in our life. How do we come up with that description of our heroes? It's a very challenging way to define it. I try to write this down and I still don't like what I wrote down, but I'll say it anyway, just as a draft, if you will, because it's work in process. The draft is to find someone who is able to seek the greater good, even sacrificing personal welfare or financial or creature comforts, etc., because of what they're able to pass on. And each one of us, I can see examples in each other's lives that we have done that in some shape or form. But that definition is really quite incomplete because it left out all of the, I call it, the adverse learning that was also very much even more powerful, I would say. I bet most people would do acts of heroism without them even knowing it. Yeah, I'm sure you have a lot of mentees who consider you as heroes and you don't even know it. I think that's very true for all of us. How does it feel then to look back and say, how would you feel if they would say, hey, you are my hero? How would that feel to you? I feel really proud and that I hope that there is something that they take and integrate and pass it on. So whatever it was that they saw in me, that they're integrating it and giving it away. I look at everybody that I think is my hero in my life, like that's what they did. They were an example. They impacted me personally, but they also were passing it to others. And not even from an ego place. It just was how they lived. In fact, ego play will be the exact wrong play. Correct. I think it's the deep down internal drive that makes the humongous difference. Yeah, because there's an impact of care and love for humanity and equality and contribution, whether that's in education, whether that's in medicine, whether that's in relationships, whether that's as a parent. I mean, think of all of the little kids that they look up to their mom and dad like, that's my hero. And then we quickly become the the unhero, right? Like uh, <laughs> I remember, I got the best advice one time. It's like when the girls started to become teenagers. I said, "Just don't worry. They just go to another planet. By the time they're twenty one, they'll be human again." <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, yeah. I bet we are not even aware that each and every one of us and our listeners are heroes, and we don't even know. And I think it's that not being recognized that really saddened me that I was not actually able to express this to Atidori when she was alive, because I myself did not recognize that. The enormous contribution Mm -hmm. that she had, the impact that she had had. Actually, the last few years, I've been recognizing it on my sister. Like I said, my gosh, you know, I look everywhere who are the heroes in my life, like Mother Teresa, like this person and that person. But they're next to me. And I did not even recognize that and how much they shaped the way I do things, the way I change my trajectory because of that slow input that they have, the slow role modeling that you see, you have it there, but you take it for granted. We kid about it in the house all the time. You know, whenever we misplace something, we can't find it. Well, of course, it's right in front of our face. You know, we talk about how we are the sum total of five closest to us. We don't recognize them. Mm -hmm. Yet those are the people that have so much influence on us, even body language, right? Nothing was ever said 
It could be the raising of an eyebrow when you said something or somebody gave you this stern look, right? You know, all you mothers have this killer look, like, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> and the kids freeze, right? They could be pulling the house down, but the, you give them that one look and they stop dead in their tracks. It's that level of articulation that we see that we take for granted. To me, if we just notice, and that's why a hero is you put someone on a pedestal, but an angel is just come alongside of you and put their arms over your shoulder and just give you this big hug. All these sum totals of that, right, oftentimes just reflect, who do I just say even thank you or not even a thank you? Sometimes you just go over and give them a squeeze, right? You guys around me long enough, I'm a hugger, right? So I want to give you a hug. Right now, I can't do that, but it's like, ah! <laughs> but it's that expressing an emotion without necessarily using words even. I bet, Walter, yeah. for example, having survived cancer and learning about cancer and how people shape their attitudes and behavior based on the diagnosis, like breast cancer for you, Kathy, and I'm sure all of us have our own close-to-death experience. Like I came down with COVID and I almost died from COVID after having been researching on COVID all this time. <laughs> but what I'm asking is, how are you shaped now based on your earlier experience from your heroes? One of my big heroes was a counselor that I had from my Sunday school class. I guess I was a little bit younger than the rest of the people in the class. And there was this one time that we all wanted to go to this one movie. And if you were under 16, you got a different price. And if you were over 16, you had a different price. Well, everybody else was over 16 and I was under 16. So I was going to go buy all the tickets for everybody because I was under 16 and we were going to have that pricing. When the counselor caught wind that this was what we were going to do, she said to us, you cannot compromise yourself and your integrity. She didn't use those words, but that's what she was saying. And she basically said, we always pay the right price that we are, and we always do the right thing. And I'll never forget that because it was a great lesson. Oh, my goodness. That's why you're in business and financing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so great. We're in trouble. I would say one of the greatest qualities of Pam Kawaguchi is her integrity. She's definitely known as an integrous woman. Yeah. And that really shaped your attitudes in life and, and the way you handle things, both money and integrity, right? So, Kathy. No, I was thinking about my Aunt Ruth, who was my dad's sister. And I just thought that she was like the coolest person, like her house was decorated so beautifully. And she always wore really nice jewelry and always had her hair done. And, you know, she had Rose Kennedy over to her house. She did a fundraiser and she was big Democrat. And my dad was a big Republican. <laughs> so there was a big, you know, and so my aunt. Sound like fun. <laughs> but it was back then. It wasn't like how it is now. Right. <laughs> and so my aunt took me to the Democratic Convention in 68. Was it 68? Yeah, where they had all the riots. Because my uncle was a delegate. And my aunt, she took me to what starting like in fifth, fourth grade, she would take me to Chicago every summer to get four new outfits because going to uh, Catholic school, two days a month, you didn't have to wear your uniform. You went and took them to the dry cleaner. So you got to wear dresses. Uh. And so she would take me to Chicago to get me dresses that I could wear on those days. And so I just thought she was the greatest person in the world. She looked on the outside, like just really wealthy, but on the inside, it had nothing to do with money. It had to do with fairness and it had to do with people. 
one of her husbands that had passed away was a farmer, even like she owned a farm, but she was this elegant woman. She represented to me was it doesn't matter about how much money you have and money is great. It's how we treat each other. That no matter if you do this or you do this, we're equal. And that is what she taught me. And it is absolutely lives inside of me today. So the elegance, both internally and externally. And the acceptance of people and bringing people together to have them work together versus separation. And it was funny to listen to my dad and her talk. It was funny. And really what that came out of that is my dad would start questioning me about things and, you know, get under my skin because he knew that I was way more liberal than he was just to see if I knew what I was talking about. And so he'd get my goat going and then he'd just start laughing. I go, why are you laughing? He goes, I just wanted to see if you knew what you're talking about. Because when you have a strong conviction, you have to have facts behind you. It can't just be on emotion. And I always have to think of that even today. <laughs> <laughs> Were you always an educator or a coach or a, a leadership coach, Kathy? No, I didn't really. I mean, when I first got in my career, I was a political science major and I wanted to be a lobbyist. First, I wanted to be a social worker. Then I found out how much money they didn't make. And I was like, wait a second. I know I can make a difference and still have a living, right? And then I wanted to be a lobbyist. When I lived in Washington, D.C. and I went to college there, I realized, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. And what ended up happening is I, my first job was with an advertising agency. Mm-hmm. And my two friends from Omaha and I ended up in Southern California. And we got a job with this advertising agency. And they could only hire one person. So we both took the one job and did half time each because we both wanted to work there. <laughs> Because, you know, we we were only 22. Okay. We wanted to lay out the sun a little bit. Okay. (laughs) And then it turned into a full-time job and I started producing commercials. Then when I started taking the classes, that's when I was like, that regrounded me into, wait a second, we got to make a bigger difference. I need to make a bigger difference. And so Mm -hmm. that's really in my early thirties where I went something that I did up until a certain point in my twenties, it just relit that about the importance of contribution. I think it's that contribution that you continue on, your legacy to the people that you teach and lead. And for you, Walter, cancer survivors and your listening skills, right? Where did you learn Not that? Not too good. Not too good. <laughs> My listening skills could be dramatically enhanced. But having said that, though, I mean, along those lines, I would say my mother brought me to the church. So that's why faith and spiritual aspects of life is paramount as one of my anchors. And that necessarily translated into contribution. I guess it doesn't necessarily translate it, but it did for me. So when I was working at the time, I became the youngest treasurer at church. I was like the second go round from Mm -hmm. the retirees who actually formed the place. And I was in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s. How's that? And so I did the books. I became the CFO, essentially, for the church and the treasurer and all that without the controls, Pam. No controls. That's usually the case. (laughs) I was both on the income side and the expense side, okay? So that tells you how dangerous it was. So when I applied for B-School, you know, Stanford Graduate School of Business, I didn't have an investment bank behind me. So needless to say, I never got in. But then I was working close to 40 to 60 hours a week because I was a one-man band. That then become the core And then I kid about the the training that came out of that because they gave me that job before I even became a deacon in in the leadership group. Then they quickly voted me in to become a (laughs) deacon. And guess what? I learned board activities 
how to interact as a member of a board of directors with over 10 years experience doing that from church. Now, if you tell me that instead of going to business school, Stanford Graduate School of Business, to learn how to be a member of the board and then go off and promote and, and serve companies later on, I did that from church, you would have just laughed your head off. Completely incongruous, mm -hmm. right? That was the path. And then, of course, I don't have any of the degrees I'm supposed to have paper-wise, positionally, to do what I do. So God said, okay, now that you're doing this, some professor noticed what I was doing, invited me in and wrote a case study on what I was doing in international investments. Wow. I ended up teaching at the Graduate School of Business for a bunch of years. Wow. The, the question is, how did I learn that not having gone to school? <laughs> You were trying to point on another framework here, Walter, that in order to be a hero, you don't need degrees or money. You need to have a heart. You know, yes. you know where that came from? That came from my grandfather. He said back in the day where cars were not everywhere prevalent, he had a chauffeur, he had a driver who doubled as his bodyguard. Driving around, he would tell the driver, be kind to the pedestrian on the street. Don't run them over. <laughs> you have the privilege of being in this 55 Cadillac. And if you remember that, how big those guys are. Yeah. I mean, it's like a German tank, right? I mean, going down through pedestrians and bicycles everywhere. And he would say that all the time. And that stuck in my head, right? I mean, I was a preteen. I was like eight years old. So we're about, believe it or not, to the end of our session. And I wanted us to give your take-home points about heroes how would you tell someone that they are your heroes? I would just tell them that they are my hero because I think that sometimes people are displaying behavior or actions that they are so used to doing, they're not even owning of the difference that they make. I think it's important for people to hear that they make a significant difference. I believe that most people who are heroes, they don't necessarily want the accolades from strangers, but it is important that they do get to maybe hear the thank you or the you made a difference for me from the people that they actually touched, that they touched their hearts and just giving a little bit back, just being in gratitude. I don't think they want to call themselves heroes, not necessarily. Yeah. They just want to pass it on and they want to give and contribute. To me, that label just comes across a little fluffy. Um, so I, I worried about that label. Mm -hmm. That's another reason why I kind of flipped it to the term angels, because I, I want to sort of piggyback off of what Kathy said earlier. Teach those who can also be teachers and then pass it on. I mean, so to <laughs> me, that whole ripple is immense. The reason why when you complimented me earlier and I was scared because we pass our bad habits at 200% accuracy. We passed our good habits maybe at 1% on a good day. I pray that some better habits have rippled out. Uh, Walter, I have to jump in here. You have made such a significant difference to so many people that just your laughter and your lightness and your smile make a difference in everybody's lives. It's way more than 1%. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, Kathy, I've been in that class. And as I mentioned, I wish I had done that 20 years or two decades ago. The way we reflected on those courses, it really basically touched my core. And it's when you feel that, that's hard to duplicate. 
I am so emotional. And when I'm touched, it really shakes my core. So I really, truly admire you. And the way you teach hundreds of people in a big class, <laughs> and each one of us had been touched like as if it's one-on-one. Well, and- I'm going to give a huge shout out to Miss Pam Kawaguchi because we wouldn't all be on this call if it wasn't for her. Well, Pam, how do you get people together? I mean, when you say, Julieta, jump, I jump both feet. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even question. You want me to take this class? I'm taking it. I think I wouldn't ask anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. And so I think if I feel that strongly about it, I want as many people to come along as possible. That's why we're all on a hero's journey, too, with yeah. Darren Hardy. Same, yeah. The same reason. Yeah, I think so. Right. Except in medicine, I cannot take all the medicines that the patients are taking. Don't take them. No. no, no, no. <laughs> I cannot go through the procedures that they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> One of my mentors, when I was an intern and resident, that doctors should take the pills that they give to the patient so they know how it affects them. But I used to think of that. I said, that's really a great thing to do. But I said, I don't like taking medications. How the heck then could I be effective as a doctor, right? Any other takeaway points for our listeners before we part? I would like to Um, say that during this, especially the times where we really don't recognize that extra straw that goes on the camel's back. So I really want to do a shout out for self-care and just protect your heart protect the folks around you, surround yourself with people that give you the kind of energy, the love that you can then radiate out. That is very, very precious. And and I think that's something that each of us have had opportunities along these lines. And, And this is what makes this conversation among us so precious to me, even when we we're not in each other's faces in person, but we're able to do this. Yeah. Beautiful, yeah, beautifully thank said. Thank you so much for participating on this well, podcast. Thank you for it, y'all. Thank, thank you. you for inviting me. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you for inviting me too. Pam, Walter, Kathy, <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Have to a fabulous our, day. Thank you. Yes. To our listeners, please pause and think about the heroes in your lives. And preferably, if you could tell them, that would be great. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening to Medicine for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share with family and friends. Rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Acast, and YouTube. Follow me on social media at Dr. Jet on Twitter and Facebook. Meanwhile, stay safe, stay well, and stay connected. See you in our next episode.